we, Holly and I and our family, for most of our ministry previous to moving to pedal, we lived for most of our ministry in parsonages, in, in churches that were, in, in, in homes that were provided by the churches to which we were appointed. And we were incredibly blessed. We were so lucky in, in the Delta and in Philadelphia and then in Ripley to, to have, have some beautiful and some wonderful parsonages with wonderful parsonage committees that were, that were great to work with. You know, it, it really was fun. But, but then, of course, you know, being in the ministry and, and having um, two kids that were quite young at that age, um, you know, in a parsonage. Um, and I have children that, you know, and enjoy red Kool-Aid, at, as do I. And carpets don't enjoy red Kool-Aid as much as um, we do. So it's, it, it was quite a joy to, to, to transition from Ripley to Pedal and, and buy our first home, buy our first house. It was, it was, it was a interesting experience because it was very stressful. We had never, we had never purchased a home before. We were, you know, we were in our mid thirties and our, it was our first home and all that. And it was a really quick turnaround, you know, being told we were moving and then moving and having to do all that in six weeks and buy houses and buy a house and move from up here to down there, and it was just very stressful. We're like, we made it through. We're like, ah, you know what? We've done it. We bought our first house. We've been through the stress of that. We've made it through it. You know, what can possibly ever be worse than that six-week turnaround and moving and the house? There can't be anything, you know, worse than that ever again. So now we move from pedal to, to, to here and you know, man, buying a house is fun. We know what we want, what we like, and it's great. We have a good time. We had time to breathe this time. It was fun. Buying the house is great. But then there's a little something we didn't know about called selling a house. <laughs> oh, my. And we had a, about a month window there when we closed the house up here, and we, the house and the pedal was still on the market. And we, and so we, you know, the house there didn't sell till after we moved here. So on the day that we moved, we closed up here. That the, my, my banker in Pedal was a buddy of mine, and he did some voodoo. We made it all possible. And um, I, I, I texted him when we closed on the house up here. I said, Chris, you've now helped me accomplish my lifelong goal of owning a home in two towns. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, so this, this is going to surprise you. This is, I know you're not going to see this coming. Y'all, y'all might know this, know this about me. I'm kind of anxious, and I, I, don't, I don't have much patience, Tim. I know you look at me and say, wow, that guy, a lot to patience. No, shockingly, I have no patience. And so for that time period, when, when the house there was for, when we were here and had a mortgage here and a house there with a mortgage there, I was rather uh, stressed, shall we say. Of course, my wife, who's a much better person than me, was like, Andy, it's going to be fine. It's all going to work out. I'm like, no, it's not. We're going to be homeless. <laughs> ah! That, that pretty much summarizes our marriage right there in one, one brief thing. And um, so, you know, we go through this, and finally, finally the house sells. And y'all, when we go down there to pedal, and we sign, we do our calisthenics on our hand and sign our name a bazillion times, and... It closes, and we're back to just having one home in one town. <sighs> just relief 
utter relief to be done from this and have that burden lifted. It was just the most joyous thing ever to know that, you know what? We don't have to worry about this anymore. It's done. It's gone. Whew. Just a relief to have that burden off of you. The joy that comes from having a burden lifted is, man, some kind of joy. Some kind of joy. Today is the third Sunday of Advent, and today is the Sunday where we talk about joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. I love that line of that hymn. He comes to, to make his blessing known for as the curse is found. The curse in scripture is the effect of sin. And I love that line of that hymn where it says, he comes to make it known for as the curse is found. Y'all, that means that no matter where sin and brokenness is found, God's grace abounds more. And sin and brokenness is found everywhere in the world, in our lives, in our families, everywhere. But everywhere the effect of the fall is known, everywhere the curse is found, God's grace is found even more. God's grace is greater than even our greatest sin our greatest failure, our greatest weakness, God's grace abounds more. I love, I love the prophet we read just now, Zephaniah. You know, it's funny. Um, those minor prophets in the back of the Old Testament, it's so easy to run past them. You know, you read about the good stuff. It's kind of like when I have church folk that want to read through the Bible the entire over the course of a year and read straight through the Bible. And you know, you're like, this is great because you start off with Genesis. And man, Genesis is awesome. You've got all these great stories we know, and Genesis is great. Then Exodus, it's pretty cool. And then you hit Leviticus. Amen. <laughs> Leviticus, it's awful. It's inspired, it's in the Bible, but it's not fun to read. You're like, I don't know if I can do this. So you kind of skip through it to get the good stuff. Sometimes we skip through the prophets at the end of the Old Testament to get to the Gospels. But, y'all, there's something beautiful something beautiful about what we just read in Zephaniah. Because this is what it is. God would raise up these prophets. They were, they were common men, common people. They, they, God would raise them up and they would go and speak to the power of the day, the kings, the priests, whoever. Then they would say what God told them to say. And then most of them would just kind of recede back into anonymity. They would go back to doing what they were doing before. And basically... What happened is this. When you read the beginning of the Old Testament, you see that God basically tells the people when they get to the promised land, okay, guys, here's the deal. You keep your part of the covenant. You keep your end of the bargain. Follow the law. Observe the commandments. Keep covenant. Circumcision. I mean, do all the stuff of the Old Testament. You keep your end of the deal, and I'm going to keep my end of the deal. You keep the covenants, and you will have the lands. You'll have the temple. You'll have all the promises that I have assured you in the covenant. So you do your part, and I'm going to do my part. And here's the entire crux of the Old Testament, that people don't do their part. They wander. They worship idols. They fall. They get it wrong. And so what ultimately happens in the Old Testament is Assyria and Babylon. They come and they de defeat Israel and Judah, 
carry the people into captivity. And they lose everything, y'all. They lose the land. They lose the temple. They lose every tangible evidence of God's love for them. They lose it all. So what you see in the prophets is this. The prophets are folks saying, hey, 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 hey. Y'all better stop. Because God's going to keep his word, and it's not going to be fun. So you need to act right. You need to worship with pure hearts. You need to treat the poor in your midst with grace. You need to treat each other with grace. You need to show God's favor and God's love. You need to have pure hearts and clean hands. And the people don't. And the prophets all say, guys. But here's what happens. Here's why I love Zephaniah. He says this. The disaster that should be coming, it will be removed. God says in Zephaniah, I am going to take the shame that you've acquired. I'm going to take the shame and the guilt that's come through your life. I'm going to take these things and I'm going to turn them into praise. I'm going to take all this stuff that has happened, all these things that have come, all the accumulation of mistakes that are there, and I'm going to forgive them because I am the God in your midst. And I love, I love there's this, just this image of God in this text. It says here, it says, he will rejoice over you with singing. What a beautiful image. I think of my wife singing over our children when they were young. We would read the Bible together. We would pray together. And then she would sing them to sleep. What a beautiful image of love. God singing over us. It isn't just that we sing our praises to God and worship. It is that God Almighty, the very sovereign, the creator of all that is, he sings over you. He rejoices over you. You are his. It isn't just that God is yours. It is that you are his. He will rejoice over you with singing. It says here, the NRSV says he will, he will renew you with his love. I think the NIV puts it, he will quiet you with his love. I love, I love that image. I love that image. I think of, uh, I think of uh, when I was a camp counselor for a couple summers at Twin Lakes, which is a camp out from Florence. I, I, I worked there two summers when I was in college. I'll never forget, I had this one, one child that uh, he, was, he was pretty ADD, pretty hyper, and um, he just couldn't sit still at night. He just, he just could not go to sleep. He would, just, he would, he would kick and fight. And he, just, he, just, he just couldn't be still. So every night we had the same routine. I'd sit in my lap, and I'd kind of put him in a hug, and I would just let him kind of, nah, I don't want to go to bed. No, it's time to go to bed, time to go to sleep. And we would do that every night. Eventually, he would just kind of drift on off to sleep. He will quiet you with his love. How many voices in your head scream out to you? How many voices in your head say, Oh, God would never forgive you of that. 
How many voices in your head tell you that you're not worthy? How many voices in your head tell you you don't matter? How many voices tell you you can't do it? How many voices tell you that you are unimportant and unvaluable? Listen to what the Bible says this morning, that God will quiet you with his love. Peace, my child, be still. You are mine. I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. He will quiet you with his love. Your mind and your heart may be a storm this morning. Your mind and your heart may be tempest-tossed this morning. You may feel overwhelmed with anxiety and stress. Listen to the words of your Savior saying, I will quiet you with my love. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, One of my favorite images in the Bible of what a walk with God looks like is Jacob wrestling with God. If you know that story from Genesis, it's Jacob has met God and they wrestle all night. And God gets Jacob in a a hole that won't let him go. And Charles Wesley wrote a beautiful hymn that's completely and utterly unsinkable. Uh, called uh, Come Thou Traveler Unknown, which basically is a retelling of the story. And it's, it's Jacob wanting to know, God, wanting to know that God's name. And finally, he, he says, thy, my name is love. Thy nature and thy name is love. God holds on to us like we are a penitent child sometimes. God holds on to us while we kick and we scream and we fuss and we try to get away. We try to squirm out. We try to make him let us go. But God refuses to let us go. He will quiet us with his love. Let his love rain down on your hearts and say to you, my child, peace, be still. This is joyous, y'all. This is joyous that God has seen it all and knows it all and understands it all. And still time after time after time renews us, restores us, quiets us with his love. That's the kind of God we serve. The kind of God that says, I know it all. I've seen it all. I understand everything that's ever happened. And I'm going to once again give you love. We can have joy, y'all, because the burden has been lifted. He will turn your shame into praise. No matter what. That is the God we serve. And y'all, that's joyous. It's joyous to see what God is doing. See, that, that, I think there are two main reasons why we can have joy. One is this notion that he never lets us go. He never forget, forgets us. He never forsakes us. He never lets go. He quiets us with his love. He holds on to us. He restores us. He forgives us. He keeps us. One is that he will quiet us with that love. He will let us, never let us go. But the second is this. He says here that disaster is averted. Life will stream forth. You will rejoice. Y'all, 
We are a resurrection people. We believe in a God that is not done yet. We believe that the story is not over yet. We believe that God is not done moving yet. And so in your life right now, you may be like the captives thinking, Lord, it can't get worse. It can't change. This will never end. You may be there thinking you're in the midst of your shame. You may be in the midst of a personal tragedy. You may be in the midst of a family situation that you're dreading. You may be in the middle of uncertainty that you can't handle. You may feel defeated, depressed, anxious, worried, forgotten, forlorn. But here's what I'm telling you, church. The story is not over yet. God is a God of resurrection. God is a God that is not done in our lives. God is a God that is not done in our families. God is a God that is not done in our church. The story is not over yet. Do not put a period where God has put a comma. Do not finish the story that God is in the midst of writing. God is not done. God is alive. And no matter how bad it may seem in your life, no matter how dark it may look in your soul, no matter how scary it may feel, we can have joy because God's story is not done yet. Do not think you are the author. He is. And boy, howdy, y'all. God's story is a good one. God's story is a good one. I mean, look what he's done in our church this year. Look at the growth we've seen. Look at the fact that individuals have come to saving faith through the ministries of this church. Look at families that are being healed. Look at families that are being grown. Look at all the ways God has showered his love upon us. And the best is yet to come. God's story is not done yet. So if, if you're one of the good parts, like if your part of the story's good, hey, he's just getting started. We just getting the good part. If you're in the bad part, if you feel forgotten, if you feel like the captives in Babylon, if you feel like God has forgotten you, Rejoice, O Zion. Lift up your heart, O Jerusalem. Forget not, ye child of God. Have joy, because weeping may tarry for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. God is not done. We rejoice above all else, because God's story is not complete and neither is yours. Don't forget that. Don't write a period where God has placed a comma. God is at work. Rejoice, brothers and sisters, for our God is alive. Let's pray.